0: Hello fellow custodians of our beautiful planet. Today I have the great pleasure of presenting Mark Westwind to you. Mark is a true philanthropist who's dedicated large chunks of his adult life to serving others for the greater good. In troubled times, Mark continues to invest in the idea of community. His bio is truly littered with achievements, meaning that he has some great stories and insights for us about the status quo. He got a BA in environmental studies and got a master's in public administration. He was a founding director of the Contra Costa Software Business Incubator in 1997 and the founding associate director of John F. Kennedy University's Center for Entrepreneurship in 1999. Internationally, Mark has served for four years as the U.S. associate for Canton Venture Capital Company, a $100 million Chinese venture capital firm. Mark has over 15 years of experience designing, developing, deploying, and supporting data management systems for numerous Bay Area and national businesses and non-profit organizations. He's been working with the Salesforce platform since 2007, and they're just the day jobs. He's also got a list of community and voluntary work as long as my arm. He doesn't just get involved in good causes. Because of his business acumen and experience, he has also regularly pioneered community initiatives to protect the environment and its people. Since 1970, Mark has co-founded or founded over a dozen community projects and organizations, including the Diablo Valley Recycling Center, Eco House and Environmental Education Center, Project Glean and Urban Backyard Harvesting Program, Walnut Creek and Pleasant Hill Farmers Markets, The Innovation Project, an entrepreneurial training program for high school students and the Sustainable Enterprise Conference in 2016. It's an incredible array of achievements and I feel so fortunate to have him on the show because he's such a positive force for good and we all have something to learn from him. So, brew your favourite cuppa, sit back and enjoy a rummage through the brilliant mind of Mark Westwind. You can find out more about him and reach out to him by going to thenaturalhighclub.com forward slash community and please subscribe to The Natural High from whichever platform you listen to us in order to get every new pod straight to your phone. Enjoy the show. (sighs) The Natural High. Testing
1: One, two, three. Can you hear me I now? I can
0: hear you perfectly, sir. Thank you, sir. There you That's go. Beautiful. My wife, who has a much better memory than me, reminded me that we have actually met face-to-face before at Sutro Baths on Jim Ocean's... Yeah. Yeah,
1: exactly. Kathy's birthday. We were up there and, uh,
0: yeah. It was a fleeting was... meeting.
1: Yes. <laughs> exactly. But it was a
0: beautiful day. Yeah, cool. I love it up there. Uh, you, you, you're a resident yeah. of San Francisco, right?
1: I'm a resident of the East Bay. I live... Um, in a uh, little town of Martinez, which is uh, here in Contra Costa County. Uh, I usually start by saying, well, I live in the East Bay. People say, oh yeah, I know the East Bay. Uh, well, I live on the other side of the ridge in the Walnut Creek Concord area. And they go, oh yeah, I know Walnut Creek Concord. And they say, well, I live in Martinez, you know, because you gotta <laughs> home in on it. It's, yeah.
0: it's our little it's our little Sausalito
1: by the refinery, you know?
0: <laughs> um, I'm not sure I've been to Martinez actually. It sounds like you, you said that with with tongue in cheek, but is it a beautiful place? Um, it's
1: it's actually a nice valley here along the Carquinez Strait. You know, the Carquinez Strait is the confluence of uh the San Joaquin River and the Sacramento River as they join in the delta. They squish together and flow under the Benicia Bridge and then along the Benicia and Martinez coast and around to San Pablo Bay. So, we're in a valley just on the south side of that and it's a very nice valley. Um it's the former home of uh, John Muir. He lived here and Ooh. and raised crops here and took his crops down to Granger's Wharf to be shipped out across America, whatever. And uh, he didn't necessarily like his house. It was the house that his uh, st- his uh, uh, father-in-law gave him and he was restless. He didn't necessarily want to be a farmer, but uh, but he was good at it. And so he'd go off and do exploration and so forth. But the John Muir House is a national historic site here in Martinez. Wow. Uh, wow. Also the home of the Martini and also home of um, Joe DiMaggio, I think. I think.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what a great biography of the place. That's
1: wonderful. It's the home of the Martini. Uh, there, There are uh substantiated stories that this is where the martini got its birth so
0: which get more believable the more martini you drink
1: (laughs) 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 hadn't thought about it that way that's true so so the nice thing is that that, uh uh we are adjacent to the shell refinery uh -hmm. we're uh west of the refinery which means we are upwind which is really nice all the crap blows east but the real good news is that, well,
0: it's uh, hmm, a- Comparatively good news.
1: Comparatively good news that the, the decrease in uh, transportation as a result of the virus, the pandemic, has caused a collapse of the gasoline market, which has actually led to the closure, and my understanding is the permanent closure, of the wow. Shell refinery, which is huge. Huge, huge, huge. Um, what
0: could possibly happen to that building afterwards if it is closed down? Will somebody else use it as a refinery, potentially, or will it just get knocked down? I mean, it's a vast and very specific building, right?
1: Well, it's not just the building. It's an entire industrial plant. I mean, we're talking smokestacks and pipes and tanks. Oh, and my It's God. many, many, many acres of a true refinery. And uh, it's one of uh, four in Contra Costa County. This is one of the more industrialized uh, counties in the state. But uh, uh, anyway, I, I think what they're going to do is is convert it mainly to fuel and buy, and product storage, uh, okay. which and I don't think they're going to knock anything down. But uh, certainly those things need to be maintained and all the and you know if they're not able to make the money that they can, they it's it's cheaper just to shut it down. So. So, yeah, Martinez is a nice place. It's it's uh, in a process of, uh, of changing. It's a very, very slow process because a lot of the folks in town uh, really kind of didn't want it to change over time. The, the five families that own Martinez uh, mm. really weren't into change. And over time, you know, the elders have uh, passed on and the kids have inherited buildings and property and everything else. And so uh, there is... Uh, some change until we've gotten several new restaurants great restaurants and several new cafes so and because the millennials are moving in Mm. with their families it's a cheaper environment to live in um it's it's charmed up quite a bit
0: one of the great things about martinez i suppose is it's close to water which i oh absolutely which makes a big Mm -hmm. difference i I assume to the climate and also just the general amenities like you you've told me in your biog or or some information you've given me that you've done quite a few events Mm -hmm um and uh, sort of sporting activities on that on that Cockiness straight
1: yep yep i actually uh uh i learned how to kayak with jim ocean who you've right. interviewed yep. uh he had at one point he uh, lived in a houseboat down at the marina he
0: never told and,
1: me this. Uh, oh yeah it was fun he he, he out of the blue, he bought a houseboat, and uh he was living down there back when the marina was more of a, a livelier place. A and guy so, guy. uh so I, I uh, got into kayaking. I said, Jim, you got to do this. And we both went out kayaking. Wow, we, you know, we had to do this. And and he said, Well, I'll buy a kayak if you buy a kayak. And and so it's like, okay, the dare is on. And then he bought one, and so I ended up buying one. And then our, you know, between us both on birthdays, and our girlfriends would give us the gear, and we geared up and. We'd go out and paddle on the Carquinez Strait, you know, on nice days, on rainy days, on foggy days, you know, just having a great time because we could keep our boats right there on his houseboat or near. near. Amazing. And um, that was totally fun. So, you know, when he moved to Guerneville, it's like, oh, wow, that's, uh, you know, that that's a loss of that whole uh, a water-based experience it was quite fun
0: amazing we're both talking very very warmly about california and i'm a big fan of northern california but you know i'm looking Mm -hmm. out my window today in california san francisco and i can scarcely believe what i'm seeing because it's 11 a.m and it looks like the middle of the night or just pre-dawn here and i'm really not exaggerating i'd like to get to hear what you think and what's happening in your area of the woods as well because there's a strange like orange hue in the sky as if it's yes. pre-dawn, it's like it's because of the wildfires. Obviously, they're wrecking California even earlier yes. this year. And we sort of get battered by these natural disasters. And of course, you've already mentioned the pandemic. But it seems to me we so quickly return to our default practices in our daily lives. And we get on as if, as if everything's just going to resolve itself and we'll all eventually get back to normal. But is there any part of you that feels that we're already sort of living that dystopian future? And do you think we're doing enough about these ecological disasters and, and, and our use of the planet in general?
1: Oh, absolutely. Well, uh, following your impression of this morning, you know, I woke up at about seven and I thought it was like four o'clock in the morning, you know, <sighs> pre-dawn darkness and red, very red. And I thought this is really, really, really bizarre. This is like a Martian sunrise yeah. and dark and very, very red. And I had a client call earlier this morning who, who basically said the same thing that this is, this is dystopian, you know, and, and, It's one thing if this was one fire, you know, and and I I feel so badly for anyone or anybody that's been impacted by fire. And I have such high respect for the people who go out and fight fires. But this is so many fires. I mean, Mm. I I talked to to a colleague up in Washington. I talked to a friend in Portland. A friend called me from Eugene. The place three, not one two or three of the places that i visited with her in uh about four weeks ago in late august burned completely the resort that we stopped at to have lunch with a beautiful outdoor patio area and this big full life-size sculpture of a jazz band in hammered uh, sheet metal really cool gone the 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 forest on the way to the waterfalls that we hiked to Along the uh, McKenzie River,
0: this is all Oregon burned. Right?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is all Oregon burned. And then, and then uh, another forest on the way to the coast. We we hiked out to uh, Sweet Creek Falls. That whole forest burned. You know, so so it's impacting. You know, the fire came right up near Jim's house. It came yeah. within a mile of a friend's house in Inverness. Um, uh, my friend in, in Eugene grew up in Santa Cruz. It burned the area that she grew up in. Oh it's God. it's. And 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 so let's put it in the context of what you uh, what you mentioned is that I do see this as in some ways part of the new normal. As mm-hmm. our governor himself said, that these fires are related to climate change. The, the heat waves that we've had. I mean, how normal is it for LA to be 120 degrees? Mm. We had 115 degrees in Livermore mm. quite late last week. It was 108 here on Monday. And you know, I grew up in this area. I grew up in Walnut Creek. I've been here all my life. It ain't normal to have this kind of extended, superheated, super hot days. I mean, I remember when it used to get, you know, 105 was Mm. considered outrageous, but Mm. 115 is ridiculous. Mm. And so, you know, as, as people look at this, You know. Okay. Well, we're having a heat wave. Well, you know, and it cools down and it goes away and wraps around another year. But people, in effect, need to see this as as part of a pattern and part of a trend. You know that up till you know recently we have been experiencing the hottest days on record consistently year after year. Mm -hmm. And it, in many ways, we're like the with the frog in in the in the pot. You know, the water's heating up so slowly that the Frog doesn't jump out, wow. you know, and ends up getting boiled. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I think you saw in my bio, I've got a degree in environmental studies, yeah. and, and uh, you know, back in the in the seventies, uh, when my we I had they got my degree before they identified carbon dioxide as uh, a greenhouse gas. So we were looking at pollutants, we were looking at poisons and stuff. Who'd have thought carbon dioxide would be an issue? But. Um, mm-hmm but climate change is real and uh, i feel an obligation to do my part to both change my lifestyle and you know do what i can to uh, push the society in a in a positive way but it's very 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 challenging uh, and it's it's um, it's often discouraging because even the activists you know there's 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 walk in the walk and Talking the talk, you know, and and I I introduced myself. I I, I hosted a conference about two years ago, uh, in a sustainable enterprise conference, and I stood up right at the beginning. I said, uh, "Good morning. My name is Mark Westwin, and I'm an environmental hypocrite."
0: <laughs> we all are, though, aren't we? To a degree, we can all improve.
1: Yeah, well, and so and I showed slides. I said, you know, I'm I'm making, you know, I I have I have a pickup truck that gets 19 miles to the gallon. Mm. But I also traded in my other car and I've got a little Prius C. So I'm making progress. Mm-hmm. I put up solar, you know, and so uh, I'm shifting my energy usage to, entirely to solar, um, you know, but I still like avocados imported from Mexico, you know. So there's issues in lifestyle that we all have to wrestle with. And I, you know, I've got friends that. That are really proud of their new um, uh, patio fire pit, right. but fire fire pits run on natural gas, and natural gas comes from you know fracking. It's the oil industry, and so reconciling all those issues in one's life and lifestyle uh, is is. It's difficult for people to do, but it, there's some very existential issues involved here about survival and and health, you know. So anyway, long story.
0: Yes, yeah, an amazing story, and it, it's so relevant to you know to you know what I'm looking at and researching at the moment. I mean, you talked about global warming. This is all because of global warming. Are we doing enough? And should we be doing more in the micro? Is this a macro issue? I mean,
1: I'm glad you brought that up. So I was part of a uh, team of folks working with the United Nations Association back in 2017-18, uh, planning a Bay Area-wide climate action forum, a summit, uh, so to speak. We brought together about 95 uh, stakeholders in the whole climate Seen, uh, mm-hmm. you know, public officials, uh, agency representatives, nonprofits, some business representatives, and so forth, to look at, um, you know, what's going on in in the climate realm. And at one point, because I had. Taken a survey, and I was the one that gathered the data and created the charts and graphs to say, "Okay, here's here's our general opinion, and so forth." And I commented that I had gone up to a, a Sustainable Brands conference up in in uh, Vancouver that year, and I was very impressed with Corporate America and what they were doing. In fact, to position themselves in a positive way toward climate change. And I commented that the, uh, what is it, Procter & Gamble had uh, made a presentation at this conference saying, you know, tide pods are better for the environment because, number one, they decrease the weight of the product being shipped from point A to point B. So what are tide pods? Uh, There, there's, there's these little, um, you know, tablets of, of uh, laundry detergent.
0: Okay. Sorry. Uh,
1: Tide is, yeah, Tide is laundry detergent. Sorry. Got it. And so these pods um, are tablets you throw in your washer. Okay. Mm. So they save, they save the weight of the liquid instead of, you know, liquid uh, washing detergent and they, uh, they are designed for cold water. So they were making a pitch that it saves energy, saves the energy of heating up hot water and it's. You know, good for everybody, nice great, packaging. you know, even, and yeah, exactly. Well, during lunch, the uh, executive director, Laura Neish of um, 350 Bay Area came up and, you know, she said, you know, you're contradicting our fundamental message. It's not about changing personal behavior. It's about policy change and i was stunned wow. I, I thought wow everything that i'm doing to encourage personal behavioral changes over is is contrary to 350's efforts because i have a huge respect for 350 bay area mm. and and it really jangled me so i called her up later and we had a very nice discussion we're 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 good friends at this point you know uh, and and we and she agreed that i don't know it's it's pretty much both but that the that really the big change comes from policy action, you know, and 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 yet we need the individual actions uh, as well. And the individual making people aware helps drive the support for policy actions. But yeah. it's the it's the efforts to incentivize change from a positive point of view, and then regulate change from a quote negative point of view. I've always felt that change is better when it comes voluntarily uh, through education, but. You know it's a that's a very slow process so answering your question i think we need to do all of it and we think we need to do it faster and so my work my volunteer work in climate action is to is to really look at how we can do things better faster together and uh, so i'm working with the the founder of drawdown bay area to help her get drawdown bay area off the ground because it's all about looking for opportunities for collaboration and uh, you know making big dents and moving
0: moving things forward more aggressively what was their specific uh, mission
1: well the there was a book written uh, a gentleman named paul hawken one of the f- founders of uh, smith and hawken uh, garden supplies garden tools uh mm-hmm. uh he has become a prominent environmentalist and author, and, and he wrote a book called Drawdown. And he assembled a team of uh, numerous scientists all around the world, and they and they re- basically looked at what are the most effective tool, methods, strategies for decreasing uh, greenhouse gases and drawing down our... Um, our impact on the climate and he, and the book called drawdown outlines uh, i think something like 90 different strategies everything from um you know supporting the development of of uh, wind power to decreasing our consumption of meat to educating women as a as a climate strategy so anyway so draw the the drawdown drawdown marin uh is is an effort to take that brand and and bring it to local action and so the founder one of the co-founders of drawdown marin once is is in the process starting drawdown bay area for that reason um and uh so we're working on ways to bring information to the public and and informing people, leveraging that information to create new opportunities for understanding and collaboration and and then action. That's really where it's at is the action.
0: Wow, uh, I, you're just such an impressive guy. I can see that you're such an active person, and I was completely blown away by your blog by your bio as well, which just shows that. I just I'm not sure when you've had time to sleep over the last thirty or forty <laughs> years of your life. What I want to say about um, about this situation is that. I think we live in a blame culture, and it's. I've been doing it for years. I've been banging on about corporations and how completely irresponsible they are and how their only metric that is margin is profit that's all that they care about and there there are aren't enough truly visionary business leaders out there but as i said i think we live in a blame culture and i think it's really easy for me just to blame it all on corporations and for people to blame corporations when we can take so much responsibility for ourselves can't we we can do so much so much more ourselves and i really i really want to focus on that now on sort of you know mm-hmm. on motivating myself and and I also think, you know, with with the algorithms, with Google, with, with how invasive um, corporations are these days in terms of working out our trends and what we want so they can, you know, Feed it to us there very easily. I think that you know if we all started getting motivated on an individual basis by being greener, by being more sustainable, if we were actually enthused by that, then perhaps the corporations would follow suit because they'd realize that we want to be sold green, sustainable products.
1: Well, but- you know that that's that's very true. And so, um, I have a colleague up in the North Bay, up in the Sonoma area, Oren Wool, who's the founder of the Sustainable Enterprise Conference. That the model of which I borrowed for Contra Costa. Um, nice. Very, very sharp guy. And and uh, one of the points he made in, in one of the conferences uh, is that, we really need to stop disincorporate america when for not being 100% green right now he said we need to be actively supporting their commitments to be green in other words uh if walmart says it's going to be x you know it would decrease its uh you know carbon footprint by x by you know 2030 whatever we should celebrate that because They can't – they're running big tankers, and they can't turn on a dime, and they can't stop entirely. And much as we want them to, and uh, it would be great if they could, they can't necessarily. And yet, by their stating commitments – they are sending signals to the market that, yes, we will buy more organic produce or yes, we will buy more sustainable products or, or you know, stock them, buy them wholesale to sell to the public. And it's through those mechanisms of you know, Walmart and the other you know, retail outlets that we have access to those. And so uh, I was very impressed with the two conferences that I went to, corporate level sustainability conference. One was uh, sustainable brands. The other was uh, Green Biz in Arizona. And they were the leaders of corporate America, Procter & Gamble, Mars, Disney, Ingersoll, Rand, all these big corporations were they're saying, you know, we want to be more sustainable. And you look at it and say, why? Well, number one, it looks good. Number two is through being green we're able to hire better talent number three is it actually can't save us money by reducing waste and those things so there's a lot of motivations there and i want to celebrate that because in many ways they're far more advanced than we are in terms of addressing these things because it's not political when that when the top person says you know be green bam it happens you know and and yet those of us on the outside need to hold them responsible for their commitments, you know, there there is, it's not so much greenwashing anymore, it's just, uh, well, there is plenty of greenwashing going on, but in many cases, what it is, is just, the implementation is more challenging than you know making the statement, and we need to encourage them to uh, to follow through on those commitments. But I was very 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 impressed with the number of young people, people of color, women involved, who are now sustainability officers, uh, redesigners of of packaging, and so forth. Um, so.
0: So it feels genuine to you. It feels authentic because, you know, a lot of us believe that corporations pay lip service, you know, to the public to, to suggest that they're doing something, you know, which is of, of use uh, and of value to, to its community. But but you feel that, but you have more hope having, I mean, you've got your finger on the pulse. You've worked with so many businesses, big corporations down the years. uh, And, and you seem like a discerning guy. Who's also really interested in green politics. So you're not, massively pessimistic.
1: Well, okay. So based on what you've seen. Yeah, so 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 it's complicated, okay? And yeah. that is <laughs> what I just said was from a very positive point of view and supporting Oren's uh, perspective that we need to encourage and support corporations in their in their commitments to being green. That said, um, you know the implementation is where the rubber hits the road and and there are you know, there, there, there. Need it needs to be stepped up much more rapidly, uh, and and there are challenges, but there's also you know uh, hesitancy on the on the uh, part of board members, stakeholders, uh, shareholders, and so forth. So, you know, it isn't happening as fast, and it isn't happening with all corporations. But but on the positive side, one of the things that really impressed me as the end of the conference, the GreenBiz conference, they had a video. Uh, it was probably I don't know like two or three minutes. And it was top-level corporate people, senior executives, CEOs, VPs, known people going through from all those companies, literally just coming up and saying, you know, I'm the VP of X for Disney and we're still in. That was the statement. We're still in. It had directly responding to to the uh, uh, Trump administration's uh, withdrawal from the Paris Agreement. And all these corporations saying
0: one of the only countries in the world that's
1: yeah to right, on, right exactly so they're all saying regardless of the administration we're still in and I was like wow that's really impressive statement because they're they're making a public visible statement in direct mm. in direct uh, opposition to the position of a conservative yeah. theoretically a business friendly uh, administration all right so turn that around um, you know. At the same time, like looking at the at the some of the presentations at these conferences, you've got a company like you know Procter Gamble making a big deal that Head and Shoulders shampoo or uh, or Febreze—that's the one that blew me away. Febreze is now packaged in a you know uh, environmentally uh, friendly packaging, and and that uh, Head and Shoulders Mm -hmm. shampoo is now made out of uh, packaged in uh, beach plastic. Wow! But do we really need Febreze? At all. <laughs> so true. You know, so it's like, true. oh, air freshener, great. You know, there's other ways to do that besides an aerosol can that we throw away the can, you know, and even though it's not using, you know, uh, VOCs to propel the, the stuff out, or, you know, I mean, I got it, head and shoulders may be good as a, as a clinical treatment, but there's putting out a lot of bactericide into our rivers, you know, potentially. Yeah. So it's complicated. Um, and so where where what inspired me, you know, part of uh, your initial questions uh, that you sent me, you know, in terms of inspiration, um, a friend of mine turned me onto a book called The Upcycle okay. uh, by William McDonough and a, and a co-author. And I was really, really impressed with the thought that of rethinking our whole economic structure. Now we're familiar with the concept of recycling, but recycling in their premise, and it's true, is generally a downward graph, okay? So you, okay. you use something at this level mm-hmm. and then you recycle it, and so it's a lesser, lesser value product, lesser value product, blah, 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 and then you finally throw it away. Well, the whole concept of upcycle is every iteration of using technical resources and biological resources is a step up. And it's possible. And it's, it's possible based on a very, very progressive way of looking at design. Mm-hmm. And uh, so what it comes down to, in my opinion, coming back around on this whole thing about, you know, corporate America and products and everything else is that um, we need to redesign everything. Everything needs to be rethought. Why mm-hmm. isn't, for instance, why isn't, uh, fast food packaging, simply one little blip in the process of using that material as food for our cattle, you know, we could, f- or dogs, like you finish a picnic, you know, you you feed your stuff to your dog. Here, you know, here's I think you're talking,
0: you're talking about the most extreme business model when you talk about fast food America though, aren't you? Because you're talking about, I mean, I saw an advert for two burgers at Burger King yesterday for $5 mm-hmm. in order to be able to offer that, that sort of price, say it's all about, the margin is all about cost saving, and it's all about you right. know, huge economies of scale. I suppose, isn't it? So right. would they be prepared to invest in 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 upcycling? I don't want to, to I don't want to be uh, pessimistic about it because I love the idea, but as you say, it's complicated. and There are so many issues with with implementation. Well,
1: the the nice thing about it is that that the concept of upcycling is part of a greater um, structural paradigm called the circular economy or circular economics and i was okay. extremely impressed that circular economics was the theme at the greenbiz conference in arizona and mm. and mentioned frequently at the standard or the sustainable brands conference uh, these mm. major corporations are looking at how to become how to cre- take their business model and make it circular for instance carpet companies are now leasing carpets wow uh leasing carpets wait you put the carpet in when you're done you throw it away no 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 (laughs) they lease it to you and at the end it's theirs you give it back they they recycle it and they recover all the biological and technological nutrients that are part of that and make
0: new carpet wow that's and now
1: there's and there's a company that's selling tires on a mileage basis versus just here here's a tire buy it blah, blah blah they're 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 Charging by the mile that you get out of it, and and uh, they're taking the tire back as again uh, a, a way of recovering the materials. So very very creative things are going on. The, the there I, I hosted the uh, sustainable enterprise conference here in Contra Costa a couple of years ago. Well, one of our um, one of our keynote presenters uh, talked about using uh mushrooms to create cinder blocks for construction my mycelium growing cinder blocks that can be used in construction have you seen fantastic fungi
0: the film the documentary uh,
1: i've seen i i think i've seen a similar film yeah it's fantastic. exactly that 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 same line of thinking so um along these lines i think that the younger generation i mean i i i was one of ten people at the University of California in an interdisciplinary major in 1973, back when conservation natural resources was a class, and now <laughs> it's a it's a school, not just a department. It's a school of of conservation natural resources. Um, you know, it, that there's so much going on and there's so much awareness and it's, there's so much opportunity for creativity that when we look at, you know, the Green New Deal or all those things that cons- are considered politically uh, uh, controversial, you um, it, it can be viewed as very positive. Oh my God, I mean, if we think about redesigning everything, it's that everything that creates new markets, it creates new jobs, it creates new opportunities for uh, uh, new business models. And so one of the hopes that I have going forward, again, speaking of economics and, and business and, and, uh, and the climate crisis, is the increasing emergence of uh, B Corps, B Corporations which are are you familiar with the concept? I'm not. Oh, okay. So in the world of a business, you can be a sole proprietor. I'm a sole Mm -hmm. proprietor of my consulting firm. You can be a partnership. You can be a corporation. And there's several flavors of corporation. You can be an S corp. You can be a C corp. All the big corporations are called C corps because they can sell stock, blah, 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 blah. Well, the the B corp is a benefit corporation. The idea is that instead of being legally bound and these, these C corporations that sell public stock are legally bound to put their shareholder interests first. Right. And pretty much then followed by the word only first and only. Okay. <laughs> so, so which means profit, if it's, basically,
0: which means right, the ex- directive is profit.
1: Right, exactly. So if it means you know dumping your stuff into the into the creek and saving yep. some money, well, that's a you know Path that's a, what's right. Well, it, it's it's uh, externalizing the you know uh, costs of dealing with that, and wow. so and that and society what a has to build it up.
0: externalizing the costs. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. And
1: and you know who picks up the tab? We, the public, the public sector. So so B corps are founded on the principle of uh, the. Uh, three pillars of sustainability, which is they, the corporations are committed to having a positive impact on society, a positive impact on the environment, and a positive uh, economic return to their shareholders. So there is a written statement, there's a, there's a, a plan for how they're going to do that, that they are legally responsible to their shareholders to abide by so there's are they incentivized
0: as b corps
1: there's no other incentive to being a b corp other than doing good for society and for the environment but from a business benefit point of view that commitment can uh, attract customers who want to right. support those kind of things. Sure. Okay. It also can save the money from the point of view that you know their commitment to the environment can help save waste and reduce costs. Blah 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 blah. So, what what I'm hopeful for is an increasing uh, commitment of new entrepreneurs to forming B Corps, and I as we question the capitalist system. Uh, which is based on, you know, profit first and only. uh, I think we're seeing the gradual evolution to a, no, no, we can't get away with that. We can't continue to get away with that. And it's not just an environmental thing. We can't just continue to poison the rivers and the land and and the air and so forth, but also to society. And that's where the Black Lives Matter movement comes. And Mm -hmm. that's where all the other social justice and uh, aspects Uh, Come into play, and companies are important for our economy and our society in that uh, they provide jobs. They're they're the you know a big employer, and many people are very creative and want to start businesses. But when they start their businesses and at the same time say, but I'm going to do this in a way that contributes to society and contributes to the health of the environment. And I'm going to make money. There's an increasing number of people saying, you know, right on, we want your businesses to succeed. We're not going to, we're not here to fight you. We're not here to regulate you. You're mm. doing this voluntarily. and it's less what us a- versus them.
0: Exactly. And more of a community thing. Yeah.
1: Exactly, and so I'm I'm hopeful that that movement will grow. It sounds
0: really interesting. Are there any high high-profile B Corps that you can um, cite at, at this point in time?
1: Yeah, I believe that Patagonia is okay. a B Corp. Cool. And I believe that Ben and Jerry's is or was Ooh. before they were purchased was it was a B Corp? Okay. Um so yeah. Wow. Patagonia Patagonia has always been a leader in in sustainability in many ways. Um, I mean you've
0: just turned me onto that brand so much more than I have ever been before. I like I love the outdoor lifestyle. Patagonia is like an outdoor uh, activity sort of lifestyle clothing and that sort of stuff. Oh, right?
1: absolutely. Well, and here here's an example. Okay, so so given their commitment to the environment, right? You know, they, they, they make neoprene wetsuits, right? Mm -hmm. Neoprene is a fossil fuel based material, right? But they went out and they, uh, you know, either uh, acquired access to or co-developed or well, I don't know any of the history of this, but they, but they, they now make a wetsuit out of this stuff called Ulex and it's not petroleum based. And so about two years ago, I was in need of a good wetsuit because I live in Northern California. I like to play in the ocean. The ocean's freaking freezing. (laughs) I bought bought a Patagonia Ulex wetsuit and it works just as well, if not better, Uh, a little pricier, but I was doing the right thing. I wanted to support them. I wanted to check it out. And as more people, you know, buy this stuff and shift over, we may be able to phase neoprene out entirely, which would be- Um very amazing. Cool.
0: And that's the trade-off, isn't it? You have to pay a little bit more. The company has to pay more, but the upside is so good. There's a massive environmental upside over time. Well, and I consider
1: myself an early adopter. I mean, I'm not wealthy by any means, but I, I you know, uh, like uh, my degree. You're talking about money say, though,
0: aren't you? You sound well, very wealthy to me in many ways. That well, no, no, no. I'm talking, well,
1: yeah, I'm talking about <laughs> money. I mean, I, I can't throw, I can't throw away money at every, everything, but, but based on my, history of recycling when I was 20 and eco house oh. when I was in my uh, late 20s and early 30s and, all, you know, community gardening. I have to walk. the You walk. had the long hair and everything, right? I had the long hair and everything, you know, and so, so <laughs> I, you know, in terms of walking the walk, I need to make decisions based on criteria beyond just price and that's one of my issues it's a it's it's a pet project of mine it's a difficult project but i um, launched this project called the sustainability genome project all right mm-hmm. and that is that we want to develop a universal comprehensive sustainability a product sustainability rating system OK, so, you know, we know Fantastic. that there's certifications for organic food, there's certifications for fair trade labor, there's certifications for all sorts of, you know, green lumber. But some
0: of them are a bit nebulous, aren't they?
1: Right. Well, and, and they're very niche oriented. So, so, for right. instance, the the fair trade people. Great. You're supporting, you know, uh, your labor, but you're dumping all your crap in the creek or your organic <laughs> farm. You're you know, you're not using pesticides, but you're tra- treating your labor like slaves. OK, so. So, true, so, so true. based on based on the 10 one-planet living principles founded by BioRegional in uh, the UK, uh, an excellent framework for defining sustainability, using those 10 principles, gathering data and running it through a process, using AI uh, to determine a comparative rating for uh, individual products. So, for instance, wow! If you go if you go online or to a store and you're faced with you know a, a North Face down jacket, Columbia jacket, a knockoff from China, da 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 da. Right? Hmm. Right now, how do you make those decisions? You make the decision based on color, size, f- features, warranty, uh, you know endorsements, you know all mm-hmm. those things. But wait. Where's sustainability on that list? It's yeah. not. We are not, as consumers, empowered in any way, shape, or form to make a comprehensive decision regarding sustainability. Now, certainly there are all those other certifications, but they're very oriented, like I mes- mentioned. So in my opinion, what we need is a truly comprehensive way of indicating to the consumer yeah, that jacket from North Face scores a 63, the Columbia one is a 42, and that one from China is a 6, you know?
0: Oh, my God, that is such a good idea. Okay. And it's a piece of software, essentially. How would you, would it be, is it feasible? I mean, you've obviously done quite a bit of research. Is it feasible to gather well um, sufficient data? That's
1: that's why it's kind of a slow-burning project. So, so um, uh, the... The challenges, and in fact, interesting, uh, interesting experiences. When I was at the uh, GreenBiz conference in Phoenix, uh, the author of Upcycle, William McDonough, was was a keynote speaker, and I actually buttonholed him in between talks uh, in in the in the, uh, in the foyer, and I said, "Hey, Bill, you know, here, here's my here's my pitch for this project because they have the whole." Um, uh, uh, upcycle what's I forget the name of their institute uh anyway they're they're on that whole same concept of of mm-hmm. they have their their rating standards but this is a little broader anyway he he looked at me and he said oh god good luck getting the data is really going to be challenging it's it's just mm-hmm. it's just we're not there and so that was discouraging but enlightening you know and i took that i didn't take that as a don't go there and then i talked to the founder of good guide uh which is an online product rating system uh Mm -hmm. o'rourke who teaches at uc berkeley and basically he said um you know, good luck, the data isn't there. Uh, he said, it's all about the downstream suppliers. And so, you know, for instance, Patagonia, you know, they don't make every every material that they use and it's going, it's going to, you know, the Chinese distributor, to the Chinese manufacturer, to the Indonesian source and that data stream. So he was not completely encouraging either. But in my opinion, based on the urgency of climate change and the increasing availability of data and computing power and the ability to say use something like blockchain technology to track the integrity of data from the source all the way up through the manufacturing and consuming i think that we are at the convergence of big data artificial machine learning consumer demand and the urgency of getting this done and so Again, it's a pet project of mine. It's going to take some time, and I'm still earning a living and doing other stuff. But um, eventually, uh, we we will someone will come up with this. And one of the other things that that uh, Dr. O'Rourke uh, mentioned was that considerable research has been done in consumer behavior. And he said, you know, the jury is out as to whether or not providing that information will affect consumer behavior towards sustainability now if you think about it if i make the decision to go for a higher rated product right on a sustainability rating and that's you got two identical products and the two identical prices and the whole thing and their companies are competing each other you know uh you know company x and company y and all of a sudden company y with the higher score begins to see a one percent increase in market share two percent you know all of a sudden the other company says well wait a minute everything else is the same what's the difference what's their competitive advantage sustainability oh well we better become more sustainable
0: it becomes Absolutely. an
1: yep. upward virtuous cycle
0: Up- and people will want to be part of that vetting system in order to add you know a- a- allure to their products exactly as far as the consumers are and
1: and studies have shown that you know particularly as you go down in the age range millennials and so forth are much more willing to invest in uh or buy products that are more sustainable so the market is increasing uh, the capabilities of producing this stuff are increasing. And so I, I think there's a point where, you know, like a, like a score may not be sufficient. I think in effect, what we're going to end up with is more like a um, uh, food product label where you get it broken down to how much sodium, how much, you know, potassium, how much protein, everything else. You'll get a rating of, you know, label uh, labor and environment and social justice and blah, 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 blah. But designing that, developing that, we need to, to do that so that that's well that's a long story but um you know
0: no reason not to do it yeah it is always going to be challenges to any great mission yeah
1: yeah so so i'm i'm kind of uh inspired by pushing that ball forward as best i can
0: oh it's such a great idea it's a genuinely great idea i love it um, how concerned are you by technology in general is, is it something you feel unbridled positivity about do you think that's,
1: <laughs> i'm a tech guy i'm a tech guy yeah
0: you're a tech guy absolutely you've worked in business all the way through your life yeah. and, you know what do you think about ai for example does it scare you at all we've got uh, elon musk suggesting that he's only a couple of years away from the the neural link yeah which you know will the singularity right products. Yeah, the singularity exactly. Other products which we seem to be getting ever closer towards—is it something that con- considers you? We've t- already talked about dystopian futures. Do you <sighs> see one where where robots and machines um, supersede us?
1: You know, um, I'm not smart enough to know, but I see, I see, and I feel, and I understand the concerns. I choose not to be. Overwhelmingly concerned, but I'm also old enough not to have to worry about it, because um, you know it's going to be on somebody else's watch that the stuff hits the fan. If that's true, I see some very positive aspects to to leveraging the power of of AI to uh, to understand things better, particularly in the realm of say identifying um, uh, therapeutic drugs. You know, much much more quickly to identifying points of leverage for you know addressing climate change and so forth. So I'm 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 hoping that we in society are uh, you know smart enough to use technology wisely. But I'm also not naive enough to, to think that that's a universal attribute. I, I human nature is a very complicated thing, and I I'm not convinced that you know we all share the the same positive um uh commitment their motives, co- motives. Yeah, yeah exactly you know there I, I i see this i see the emergence of, of people like trump and xi jinping and and you know all the other uh, um authority, uh, author, well, authoritarian leaders you know and and looking at at the at the uh move toward authoritarian I don't want to call it government but rule um, and it concerns me greatly. Um, uh, yeah it, it, it's it's challenging and you know I know I know the theme of your podcast is more on the you know happiness side and so forth but there's certainly I think a lot of the people that I talk to that are that I consider very positive, that there's an undercurrent of concern uh, in lots of ways, not just AI, but but it's in human nature.
0: We're worried about what AI might do to us. We're not worried about what we will be like with technology, with that technology in our hands. That's always been the problem, hasn't right. it? Right. The way we use technology. Well, well
1: and, and honestly, I, I'm, I'm less worried about uh, the AI as I am for uh so let me put this in context. You know we're dealing with a pandemic, very serious pandemic that that it's it's not being handled properly in this country. We're we're dealing with uh, potential for drought, mega droughts in California, okay, and lack of water. We don't necessarily hear a lot about a you know three week, four week mega heat wave at 120, 130 degree temperature that bakes our food supply that the reality of a famine based on global warming is in my opinion equally as serious that if you think about it you know the united states feeds well california feeds i think we provide like 40 percent of the food in the country and that we feed we export a significant amount of food if we go down who else has got spare food to send to us
0: We've had so many years of comfort, relative comfort, haven't we? Since the Second World War, I suppose oh, that we uh-huh. we feel so much more insulated than we actually are, or actually really fragile. Somebody put it to me recently that if the coronavirus, for example, had been if it had been ten times more deadly than it actually was, uh-huh. so let's say it kills one percent of the population at this point in time uh-huh. that that contract it if it killed 10% of the population of those who contracted it, how many people, how many Amazon workers would want to go to work, for example? How quickly would the supply chain break down? Right. So
1: so it brings us back to, you know, for more, uh, you know, putting putting a positive spin on this, is that there is a significant movement these days toward uh, creating resilient neighbourhoods, and okay. resilient communities, and planning ahead, and diverse, diversifying our food supply. Realistically, mm. when I was running the Ecology Center, Eco House in Walnut Creek, you know, I was trying to model the Mother Earth News uh, kind of approach to getting back to the land in a suburban environment. And you know, I I'm a suburban kid, and you know, trying to grow my own food. And I had a solar nice. greenhouse, and I had a wind generator, and I had herb gardens, <laughs> and all these things. That, you don't sleep, do you? <laughs> the answer is. You do not sleep. Well, that was then. That was it. <laughs> but uh, but really, what it came down to is I, it was very very obvious to me that none of that was necessarily scalable to everybody. So I I I, hmm. I um, was the founder of uh, many of the community gardens in Contra Costa County. I got one, literally my like first real job was organizing community gardens, and I got that job never having planted a garden in my life. okay how did I get that job never having planted a garden in my life I knew I knew jack about gardening but back when I was 20 I was inspired by a friend of mine uh, who I was driving down the road her she and her boyfriend drove perpendicular to me through an intersection i saw her pull over by the side she got out picked up something along the side got back in and drove off i ran into her later and said uh, i i saw you and 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 your boyfriend over there well, you stopped what, what did you pick up she, oh i stopped to pick up a, a beer can for recycling and i thought wow suzanne you stopped to pick up a a, a beer can to recycle and that really inspired me so i went home I was living with a bunch of guys over in uh, uh, Concord, and I put out a flyer, and I said, we're going to start a recycling center. So I leafleted the neighborhood and invited our neighbors to bring us their um, newspapers, glass, cans, and bottles uh, to, our, to our place, to our you know uh, driveway. And so we got a bunch of barrels, and after about a week and a half, all those barrels were full. So I rented a truck and we started taking them. And over time, you know, renting a truck is expensive. So so, uh, we went over to the, uh, Pete Stark's bank in Walnut Creek, which ha- which he was a Republican, he was a, he was a in, in the legislature somewhere. He had put a neon peace sign. This was in 1970. Put a peace sign, neon big peace sign on his building, which was highly controversial. Anyway, went and figured he'd be receptive, and sat down, met with a VP of the bank, and we I said we need uh, money to buy a, a truck to haul this stuff. And he looked at us and we were underage. I was uh, 20 years old and we gave him our pitch and he turned around and came back and said, you got it, kid. You know? So they gave us a loan. We bought the truck and I ran a recycling center for, uh, a couple of years until i had to go back and finish my degree and and that experience being an organizer is what got me the community gardening job which led to the founding of eco house which was a demonstration center and uh so so it it became this whole extension of being a community organizer uh my buddy jim who you uh interviewed he considers himself a cultural activist great term for him using music to change our culture i'm not as musical i'm not as uh, as artistic i'm an organizer so whether it's uh, the recycling center the community gardens the eco house dah, 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 and, and all the stuff i'm doing now um that's my way of making a dent in things and um I don't know kind of a long story but
0: uh yeah when you think about your specific skill set as well it's wonderful that you set you put yourself to task on these sorts of things because you've obviously got huge experience on businesses and running businesses and you've probably viewed all of these uh, community activities as such you know to try and keep them in themselves sustainable you know we talk about a Diablo Valley recycling center mm-hmm. Contra Costa community gardening program mm-hmm. all of these things are they still are they are they self sufficient? as it were well? The, no?
1: the community gardens are still going. Uh, there are so, numerous of the gardens that I started. They're still going, and and there's many more gardens have opened up uh, from other other you know other people have launched them since then. So that that aspect worked really well. Um, the recycling program uh, actually spurred. Uh, the uh, creation of curbside recycling. It's in some ways, it's taken about 20 years for the things, the seeds that we we during that movement planted, uh, to become mainstream. So it's no longer Maybe. necessarily to do the neighborhood centers. The uniqueness about our our uh the recycling program that that i set up was that instead of having a central place to drop your stuff off that you'd have to drive from you know this part of walnut creek or all the way to diablo valley college to drop it off Mm. you know centralized ours were neighborhood based so we actually convinced homeowners to make their side yards available to put in uh four barrels you know glass aluminum uh newspapers and whatever else that it was and on our on our commitment that on 24 hours notice we would we would rotate their barrels and those families committed to taking the materials that their neighbors would drop off and then sorting it properly. And then they'd call us up. We'd, and it worked great. But then the, you know, obviously over time, the garbage companies took over curbside and, that's really where we wanted it. We wanted it institutionalized. So yeah, that was sure. successful. And community gardening is becoming more institutionalized. The gardens that are most successful here were the ones that we started uh, under park and rec departments.
0: It really you know? is amazing. But And you talked about that inspiring you. But what is when you boil it all down, what's behind that? What is the motivation? Why are you motivated to get involved in so many community projects? And why are most of us not motivated by it?
1: Well, okay, uh, you know, and I, I thought about that based on the questions that you sent me. Uh, you know, I, I had a quote good Christian upbringing. I was uh, uh, exposed to uh, Catholicism when I was young, and had some some very good, uh, you know, catechism teachers who taught me the values of you know being a good person and you know the the sense of uh, service and so forth. Um, Helping thy neighbor. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and I managed to kick Catholicism without too many uh, uh side effects. But uh um <laughs> but when I was you know, when I got into into late high school and and early college I was exposed to eastern thinking and uh through through the Mirababa movement, through Alan Watts, through uh the whole Buddhist scene and really what it came down to is is getting a getting that Christian foundation uh shored up by the sense of selfless service and you know what is the meaning of life it's selfless service and so what is that service you know you you look at what each of us has as a skill set Jim is a musician he writes songs he plays guitar he inspires people in those ways that's not mm-hmm. me I I can handle technology I'm very good at data I can put together proposals and stuff and and so when I see a need that you know, nobody else is picking up that ball and I've got the skills to pick up that ball. That's something I can do to, to make a contribution. You know, I, I've always liked the phrase, uh, uh, from Steve Jobs of, you know, he, with Apple computer, he said, I want to make a dent in the universe. Wow. You know, that's, that's yeah. a profound statement. You don't want to just kind of, well, I did my thing. He, he wants to make a dent in the universe, you know, and, and certainly, I'd I'd love to think big like that. I'm 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 certainly uh, probably not going to be that successful in just in terms of changing cultures and stuff. But I want to do my part, and so that's that. My inspiration is: what's the fundamental meaning of life? Well, it's selfless service, and and I find so it to me helping other people has always been. you know a, a sense of of uh satisfaction there you know there's there's benefits to me from helping other people i was a I was a ropes course leader for twelve years over at the Santa Fort miley San Francisco adventure ropes course you know putting people through uh, uh situations of high perceived danger to help them you know move past their fears. Are you familiar with the ropes course model? I'm not. I'm oh, afraid. Gee. Wow. Ropes courses are a trip. They're they I, I think they've kind of waned a little bit. But um imagine being in a forest where you're faced with challenges in a okay. group in a group of people doing doing things that look impossible but are doable with the collective action of, of yeah, the team. Sure. Or doing things individually, like climbing up a 25-foot rope ladder, excuse me, yeah, rope ladder on a 30 foot post that sways and tips and climbing up on top and standing on top of that 30 foot post on a disc that pivots and twists.
0: Yes, I am I am familiar with okay. this. I, I just haven't heard of it as yeah that, well that's that's for. the
1: term. And so yeah I was a I I was a le- leader for that in, in San Francisco for, and that was totally amazing. As to, is to, you know, I'm, I'm don't the really things have. you
0: literally cannot do alone. You can only do as part of a collective. And, and the, and the way you do that
1: kind of climbing, the, the whole is greater than the sum of the
0: parts, which is how the world should run, but it doesn't.
1: Yeah, and. Well, and, and trusting people—you know—the only way you're going to go up that post and stand on a disc is if you know the person on the ground is got you on the rope, and it's trust. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that 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 to me was a, a way to, to uh, you know contribute and and connect and and help inspire people. And uh, I've been a volunteer with a very very amazing organization called Environmental Traveling Companions, ETC, okay. yeah, uh, nice. in the city that provides um, accessible adventures and we offer uh, whitewater rafts For people with special needs, largely, isn't it? People with special needs and um, under-resourced youth. Uh, so, mm-hmm. you know, kids from... Yeah, and so kay- kayaking trips, rafting trips, and, and, uh, and uh, cross-country skiing, and that's totally fun.
0: What a guy. What a guy. You know, I think there is something selfish about giving, and when you try it, and when you do it quite a lot, you realize, I mean, when I do something altruistic, really selfless i feel so good absolutely so it is it's quite a obvious thing but i think if we if we are to do it if we're to exercise this idea more and more we will feel much better about ourselves and it speaks again to materialism material all these materials all these things we accrue for ourselves they don't really make us that happy do they
1: I don't know, I kinda of like my new iPhone, but yeah.
0: <laughs> um Dan, I, I,
1: I agree with you completely. No, I, I do. You know, really what it comes down to is uh, you know, that that and coming coming back around on on you know the virus and the and the fires and all those negative things are happening, one of the things that that's that's in my opinion that I'm I'm seeing and I'm hoping for is that we really need to look at major cultural change and we in our, at least in this country we need to shift from an i am to a we are culture and so 100%. those those com- countries that have taken a we are approach that you know that, that there's much more of a unified spirit i'm not talking about lack of diversity just a unified spirit of we are and a trust for their leadership that we are they've been more successful Whereas our country is very much a cowboy culture, and it's an I am, and and like the UK, right, and 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 there are super benefits for that, and there's some drawbacks, and I think unfortunately, given the the increasing size of our population, the global nature of our challenges, that we we really need to think of this as a we are. Culture and and transcending boundaries, transcending all those those divisions that we can create among each other, and really, you know, become global citizens. And um, unfortunately, the forces con- contrary to that are strong. Uh, and I, I'm not necessarily hopeful that we can get there, but I'm hoping that that these these disasters and so forth can galvanize us to creating that sense of we are and we can and then do together. It's it's inter- I'll tell you my joke. It's probably controversial, but you know, in the in in the climate world, <laughs> uh, climate action world, there's there's various communities of thought. There's the resilience movement, which is it's going to happen brace yourself and then there's the Mm -hmm. uh sustainability movement which is well you know let's create a lifestyle that we can sustain obviously that's the word sustainability there's people that say no we don't want to just sustain we want to thrive we want to move beyond that that's the regenerative movement um and then there's the whole spiritual movement which is kind of like what these things are going on um so so imagine we're, we're all in a bus careening down the road heading for this cliff right of climate disaster right and all the resilience folks are stuffing the parachutes going brace yourself brace yourself right and all the sustainability people are up there yanking on the steering wheel going we can we can do it come on pull tug we can do it we can do it and the resilience people are having a meeting in the back going you know we should redesign our transportation system (laughs) (laughs) really so you know those are the challenges that I deal with in terms of even the politics, the cultural differences of of uh, climate change. Oh my God, you can't be sustainable. You got to be regenerative, and and yet, oh, you know, we got to still anyway.
0: It's so difficult. It's so difficult. I wonder. You know, I used to be like really into the idea of globalization. I'm certainly into the idea of a world without borders, 100. But when I think about globalization these days, it, it does there are some ways in which I think it can be a little bit dangerous. For example, the idea of community. Now, of course, we have global communities these days with our our social media, et cetera, but the idea of, communities really sort of dissolved to me over the, uh, since I was born anyway, and I think about like, you know, maybe a hundred years ago, and you'd have a community, a town of 200 people, and Mm -hmm. of those 200 people, some of them would be friends, some of them wouldn't like each other, but they would all know each other, and people wouldn't fall through the cracks, Mm -hmm. and because of this dissolution of community for me, it seems like so many people are falling through the cracks, it's something that we really need to address the idea of community again, because it doesn't feel natural to people anymore.
1: Well, you know, that you're you're going down a very uh, difficult path. That's way over on the sociological side of things. You know, it's kind of a student of human nature and so forth. <clears throat> over time, you know, I, I, you know, in effect, we we've got to address the issues of why do we look at each other. Differently, you know, and 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 mm. and and that comes down to you know the, the the recent book that was put out about the American caste system. You know, and they use the term caste uh, with respect to our social divisions. Um, the, the issue of our political differences and so forth, it, it's very, very challenging. Um, and, and to a certain extent, again, I'll step, I'll step out and say that I think one of the fundamental issues that we have to deal with as a, as a global society is the negative impacts of religion. Right. And 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 the and the sources of division that come from religion, uh, it it's very difficult. And and uh, I certainly don't want to discount the positive aspects of forming communities around uh, uh, the spirit of all the positive things that you know go into religion. But when it comes down to all the all the deaths that have been caused by religion historically uh
0: becoming exclusive and not accepting people from ex- other things i mean i'm not a religious person right. myself but i don't mind the idea i don't have any problem with the idea of faith because i see that it gives a lot of people hope and it makes a lot of people very positive yeah but as you say it's it comes- yeah and and the
1: value many of the values are good but it's it's when the values turn are like yes. well you know and and you're seeing that in the middle east you're seeing that in terms of of you know resistance to different cultures whether it's anti-semitism uh, or so forth. So, I don't I don't really want to, you know, go too far down that, but but it it doesn't it, it again, it doesn't leave me necessarily feeling really positive about the our ability to to galvanize a more uh we are approach to addressing some of these things because often those things transcend that when you've got when you've got some, you know, groupings of folks under religions or cultures or whatever saying, you know, these no what we're seeing is the beginning of the end times and therefore let's encourage it so that we get to the end and see the, the whole apocalypse come. I don't know. It's just like that. Just,
0: I'm, yeah, Close my I, I think that the, the, there's been a certain democratization that has taken <laughs> place since the, the digital age, you know, the advent of the digital age, which I think is wonderful. But I've, yeah, I've just been speaking to people more recently and and, talk, and talking to them about how they believe we need to start thinking about the local level again and how everything will blossom out of that if we start. Because, yeah, my, I suppose when I boil it down, when I think about it, when I i don't love the planet enough we don't love the planet enough and if we had like a small area to love rather than thinking about everything on a global level all the time then maybe we would take a little bit more care of our local community and that things could thrive over time that way
1: yeah no i agree with you and i i think i think that was underscored during during my degree program uh one of the takeaways that i got was that um you know, a lot of us like to, to be in the outdoors, in the wilderness, you know, and get away from people and experience nature in this pristine form. But the point was made and, and well taken that unless everybody has positive experiences of nature and, uh, and and learn to appreciate it, particularly when they're young, they won't necessarily support efforts to protect it
0: Mm, right
1: and so that comes down to like our national parks and 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 the wilderness areas they say well you know i don't know i mean our government's in debt and so i don't ever go out there to yosemite or point Reyes or you know just let's sell it you know let's make some money and and whatever let's develop and bring in tax dollars you know so so the struggle that those of us that are more outdoor adventurous uh deal with is that uh you know there's a there's a trade-off I, I i took my son and his girlfriend out to the american river on uh, on saturday over the over the holiday weekend knowing you know that it's going to be really hot mm-hmm. and the river is a good place but and that was a stretch of the river and no experience with and so it was literally like kayaking rafting through a mall <laughs> At Christmas time. <laughs> oh. Gaggle, big gaggles of people and boom boxes and everything else. Oh Everybody God. was enjoying the river. There wasn't a mask anywhere no except way. on me. Nobody was wearing a mask except me. Wow. Literally, I was wearing a mask as I was going down the river. But you know, and and so there's a balance of so, gee, I would really like to go down this river as a more wilderness experience. Mm. But I was thinking, you know, people are enjoying the water. People are enjoying being outdoors. People are enjoying themselves. I get it. Take the virus off the table. I have to acknowledge the value in people appreciating nature because otherwise they wouldn't care that the water sure. was polluted. Mm. They wouldn't care that the, you know, the river was developed or whatever. And so that goes for, you know, a lot of our uh, parks, we, we need to, to look at how people interact with parks and, and, and make them more accessible and not just an elitist kind of experience mm. because that will then, you know, again, accre- uh, in, increase their willingness to be part of an us you know, and share you know the world and the planet and the commitment to protecting it. So, and I agree on a local level. What you said, I agree that people people in a community can do that with respect to parks and and institutions like community gardens, like social activities, and everything else. It's it's all part of it. You know, Jim. Again, to his credit, he's been producing the uh, uh, summer music concerts yes, in Concord funny. for like thirty years. Mm-hmm. And I've been to many. Obviously, I've helped him. I've actually worked there with him at different times, ca- casually, um, you know, helping set up chairs. That's the one thing I can do. I'm not a musician, but darn, I can set up chairs really well.
0: Um, <laughs> You're a helper. You like helping. Yeah. <laughs> there are too few of you in the world.
1: Right. Anyway, so so you know, they have there've been you know times when the Concord's budget's been tight and mm. everything else, and they oh well, maybe we should cut back on the commit you know the the concert series in summer. It's very clear that that series is one of the fundamental ways that that community uh, is able to stay positive and interconnected and peaceful because it brings together families from all sorts of backgrounds, mm-hmm. and they're out there five, you know, two, three, four, five thousand people peacefully gathering, listening to music, kids you know flipping frisbees family having picnics all those kind of things it's it's part of the the quote american experience in a diverse society sharing those experiences. And and uh, so, yeah, we need to see more of that. So when you look at a budget and cutting those kind of things, you're, no, 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 wait, 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 you don't understand. That's, that's fundamental. That's why governments exist, you know, mm-hmm. to do positive things. Yeah. Not just sewer systems and police, mm-hmm. but it's to bring us together, you know? Wonderful.
0: Uh, it's, this is all very relevant to uh, to COVID as well, because, you know, this is a global pandemic. We're all in this together. Do you feel there's been a, like a shift in terms of the conscien- consciousness of people around the world since COVID? Do you think it's shifted our way of thinking or do you think we'll just go back to business as usual? I, it seems there's more, op- um, it's more optimism about a vaccine than ever before. And, you know, uh, Donald Trump's talking about in the next few months, one being available. Uh, do you think, you know, if and when the vaccine comes along, then we'll we'll just chalk this down to a bad year and then just carry on a- as we were before
1: you know I, th- I think i think in in say five years there'll be uh there'll be a uh, we'll be seeing more normality uh the old normal you know back in place
0: not for five yeah. years you're talking about crowds not being being able to convene i'm not like
1: i'm not saying that the crowds won't come back sooner but it's going to take the the economic hit the 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 bankruptcies of businesses the bankruptcies of restaurants is huge that's that's not something that's going to come bounce back quickly and and second is you know just in terms of of any positive outcomes from from covid in, in in many ways, you see it it's it's been truly deeply polarizing uh the politicization of wearing masks and the the disinformation and so forth it's very troubling. I've spoken to 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 three friends over the last couple of days uh, you know and the sadness and the and the and the loss that they've experienced you know, spiritually and mentally in terms of, you know, what the changes that have come and 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 the you know, in terms of the normal no longer being available, uh, the missing the missing of just the simple going out to dinner with friends or the uh the knowing a friend that's lost a business or or hearing about friends that have died, you know, from the virus. It's it the the sadness is deeply and then and then there's the politicization, you know, the the, the denial of, of facts and so forth. So you know, hopefully we'll come out of this in a very positive way, but uh, you know I hate to make this political, but I mean a lot a lot a lot a lot of this is going to rest on the outcome of the election on November 3rd. it is not uh, it is not uh, hyperbolic to say this is the literally the most important election in our lifetime. Um, and it could easily go south on us
0: um, you know, Assuming we're both back in the same camp, after November, who will be the president of America, do you think? You know,
1: I must say, I, I've been extremely impressed at how well Democrats are successful at losing elections. <laughs> so true. Okay. So, uh, you know, great that they're apparently a little ahead, but... It never fails. Yeah. Democrats are great at stealing, what is it? Stealing defeat out of the jaws of victory. <laughs> um, so, you know, uh, it's tough. I can't, I'm a Scorpio, you know, and I I can't get involved in politics. It, it literally brings out the worst in me. And I've, I made that decision a long time ago. I've got to stay positive. I got to stay on the educational side because I could go there but it's an it's an, it's an evil place it it requires an inflation of ego that's not healthy for someone like me bless other people's hearts that are able to do this but I just can't Be there in political. I I totally
0: understand. I will chalk off the next eight questions I have for you, but I will ask because it's something that constantly uh, occupies my mind. I think of someone like Barack Obama, for example, and I think that a a man of genuine integrity, somebody that really signalled hope for a country which was sort of a little bit stuck in the you know old-fashioned ways in some respects, and Barack Obama signalled this a change of, of system, you know, a change of outlook, a change of a new mm-hmm. way of doing things. I think that, you know, eight years later, even now I think he's probably more popular than ever, but he did have some missteps, didn't he? And I I wonder, I mean, he for me, he was a real idealist. And when he went into power, he was a guy, you know, single-payer yeah. family, came from, from humble beginnings, worked his way up, worked so hard all the way mm-hmm. through his life, and was somebody that really wanted to change the system. But do you feel that, um, you know, even the best, presidents their hands are tied by the real power brokers in the country oh I, well yeah and and
1: and you know uh, unless we have a a, a unified congress mm. it, not a lot's gonna there's gonna be a lot of stonewalling you know the positive thing is i i think i think at this point i'm i think joe biden is a really nice sound intelligent committed public servant and his running is amazing and his and as running mate is made is amazing, and and I think that potentially the return to a positive role model. I think if there's anything that we need right now, it's role models. You mm, know, and in, so the, in the black community, we you know we shot all the role models. You know, we shot, and so right now we've got this you know anti role model. Um, and it's, it's troubling. And so if we could just get back to somebody who can speak English and <laughs> <laughs> be nice isn't name caller and all those other things, you know, uh, I, I can't imagine that people wouldn't be longing for that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there's parts of society that want to break things and move on and, uh, wow, well, we can only fix it or change it when it's broken. Well, you know, bro, you know, you know, when you break things, you end up with broken glass on the ground, and you step on it, and you get hurt, mm. you know, mm. and so maybe we just kind of need to quote redesign it. Like I said earlier, you know, and redesign at this point is I don't really necessarily care how progressive the agenda is I do. But all I want to do is get a sane person in there. Yep. even if it's just for four years of smoothing the waters.
0: It's an impossible job. It's an impossible job. And the president can't please everybody all of the time, but you could have a more pleasant, more more pleasing president.
1: It's it's tone. You know, for me, it's really tone. Mm. Um, You know, it's interesting. You asked me uh, uh, before this interview about my uh, role models and who inspires me. You know, um, I, I've, I was inspired by my father who was, who was in the Navy and, and uh, was a, uh, a navy frogman. He used to he used to get thrown overboard on a on a little uh, uh, power boat to oh then God. swim into the swim into the harbor at Naples and put explosives on mines underwater. Wow. Find the mine. Go down there. Put the put the explosive on. Swim back. Be in the designated spot
0: in in the dark. Is this during World, the boat, or after the Second World War? Or some sometime around then.
1: During during mm-hmm. during World War Two, right? So they they mined the the Nazis oh had mined the God. harbor or the Italians. And so he had to be there in the designated spot, and they'd have this big the, the powerboat, you know, zooming by with this big hula hoop, and he'd have to throw himself through the hula hoop, and they'd throw him in the boat to get back in. If, if they missed, if he missed or they missed, they'd leave him there. No right? way. So, I mean, oh, yeah, absolutely. Because they couldn't right? turn so, back. So, you know, because they couldn't turn back. They had to get pick up all the rest wow. of the guys. So, you know, I mean, he was a good, upstanding guy with, you know, solid you know, righteous values, but, you know, and then you look at the more positive side of, of inspiring, you know, Jacques Cousteau to me when I was young was very inspiring. And that kind of was the under undergirding of my environmental awareness and appreciation. Okay. And then from a political point of view, I would say, you know, Pete Seeger, okay. you know, really put out the message, you know, with a, always with a smile, he'd sing, he'd sing songs about, uh, you know, labor issues and, Social justice, so forth, environmental issues too. You know, with, with such a positive spirit, you know. Uh, and then I've had several um, mentors of mine through my life who have been inspiring. Um, I think I think that sense of role model. You know, taking back to the administration, we're not we're not putting out the kind of role models that we need to move into a more positive so world. True. You know.
0: People leading by example, but I mean, you can do that. In a, I mean, you you're a very positive person, and I really believe that positivity and altruism is is a it's a domino effect. If you do it, people around you will do it, and it seems to me that you've got that sort of vibe going on.
1: I uh, thank you. I appreciate that. You know who I'd really like to see running for president is Jean Luc Picard.
0: <laughs> one of my one of my wife's heroes.
1: <laughs> I mean, you know, a firm, decisive. Yeah. You know, open, you know, human, but definitely a true leader.
0: Better actor than Reagan. <laughs> yes,
1: yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, you know, I just, by the way, I just watched a a very good uh, documentary about Jane Goodall and her work okay. with the gorillas. And again, mm-hmm. you know, talking about inspiring, com- a lifestyle committed to making change. Um, you know, her, she's, she, her just the way she carried herself and she didn't fault the corporations. She Partnered with them, she was respected by you know, and so so again those kind of people. Dude,
0: this is so important as well. This is so important. How how polarized things are right now. Like I'm looking at the BLM um, protests in Oregon, for in Portland, for example. And mm-hmm. Yesterday, I saw a BLM protester, and you've probably seen the video. They've just sort of really aggressively um, goading people that they who they believe are right. the culprits. And you know, although I'm 100 behind the BLM movement and any movement for positive social mm-hmm. change it's the way that we do it isn't it we we cannot we cannot just shout down our the people that we're opposing yeah. we have to start to try and empathize and move forward together and that's not really happening to, at the moment in society is it in american society it,
1: it it's difficult um i have a very close friend a, a woman of color and you know and i i i hear the sources of the anger and as a you know white man of privilege, I I get it that I can't really empathize at the level that that I would need to to get why the anger. But you're right. I mean, in terms of it it, it that anger can make change. It may not be the best strategy. It's it's very challenging. I would hate, I would truly hate for the uh, the protests and the the actions of a of of a limited number of people, many of whom are probably not part of the BLM movement or whatever, you know, uh, to, to to influence the election. Yep. Um, a really I think peaceful point. protest has its place. I, I participated in all the anti-war, uh uh
0: We've seen through history, you know, though, that violence uh, doesn't really work, things, don't we? we? We've seen the greatest leaders through history, the yeah. Martin Luther King, people like that. You know, they're people who have pleaded for constructive uh, progress. Rather than just anarchy.
1: Well, it's tough, you know. I, I I've watched some of the the recent, uh, you know, when when John Allen died, and so for you, you hear and you read the stories about his life and all that, and 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 I have I have shuddered to think about how I would feel being, you know, maybe six people back in the march across the bridge, knowing that the four or five people up in front of me are getting beaten with batons and i am working my way up and the and the, wow. and, the and the indians uh, who followed gandhi and and were just lined up to get struck by the british yeah. you know in protest you know that's bravery on at a level that is astounding. I, I never want to be tested that way. I of course, but I but that's
0: anti violence, isn't it? That that's an example right. of anti violence. No, These guys refused to to take take up.
1: Yeah, I mean, talk about role models. Yeah. You know, of, of college, bravery. Amazing. Yeah, Yeah, ways of making change. But but boy, that that's that's a test of your own so true. personal commitment. <laughs>
0: I sort of feel like we need to all get around the table at like a pivotal point in humankind. Now, the planet will eventually survive, but I just don't know how long humans are going to live with this sort of sense of entitlement, arrogance, and yeah, a polarized world where people are not really prepared to listen to the the other side.
1: Well, you know, it's like... um... Ah, for, I'm, I'm not one to remember names and stuff, but I remember quotes, just, you know, that nothing we do is going to make any difference but we still have to do it. Was that Gandhi or... Right, uh, yeah, yeah.
0: You know, I've heard the quote.
1: Yeah, exactly. You know, I, I just feel like I've been given a life and an opportunity to to a make a contribution and hopefully make a dent in the universe. And I'd, I'd certainly have kind of a wide range of thoughts about uh, afterlife or not. It, it kind of doesn't make any difference, you know, and...
0: At but the, you're doing the, it in a positive way. Like yeah. Well, I don't sense any anger in you, like which is wonderful. Like I'm sure you you feel consternation at times, but you don't seem like an somebody's putting anger out into the world. You know, I always love this this idea that you know anger is like drinking a cup of poison, and expecting somebody else to die. Yes. You know, right. and, and I just think it's it's not constructive. When I find I think anger, of course, we all have all of the emotions. That's completely normal. But anger is not a particularly constructive one for me, so I'm always trying to be aware of, you know, being yeah, having a positive impact.
1: Yeah, I completely re- agree with you in terms of anger, and I know that that uh, particularly in you know some of the more. Uh, you know, self-help books or, or, you know, relationship books. Oh, you need to be, feel free to express your anger, blah, blah, blah. I don't consider anger to be a legitimate form of communication. Um, and I think that in, in my life, at least, I have the ability to decide how I want to react. I think intellect comes before emotion in uh, many times. And I can choose whether or not to respond to a gut-level reaction Uh, by pre-processing it and saying, well, wait, where does that come from? What's the source? And can I mitigate the, the negativity here so that I don't come across as anger other than to the administration um mm-hmm. uh so you're right and and so that that to me is is part of a more buddhist approach and i was that goes back to my upbringing and uh in an exposure to eastern thought
0: yeah tell me about any specific piece of eastern spiritual thought that's really spoken to you and that's that you've maybe used your life in your lifestyle
1: well you know it 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 Selfless services, it was a fundamental uh, tenet of the Maribaba movement uh, or Maribaba community, I guess. It wasn't so much a movement, but it was underscored by, you know, uh, the, the the more Buddhist thoughts and the, and the writings of Alan Watts and so forth. And just the sense of of um, uh, right livelihood, uh, finding the the middle, pa- taking the middle path, uh, you know, uh, not holding on to things you know, being, being free, uh, non-attachment, you know, those are, those are fundamental concepts that, that resonated with me. And I'm, I'm a Western guy. I'm not an Eastern guy. And I'm, I'm very much, uh, uh, you know, people ask me what my heritage is. I'm Californian. Um, okay. you know, what's what my culture background? What about your
0: family? Where do they come from?
1: Uh, well, California. My, my, my mom was Polish half, 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 half of me is Polish. I don't really necessarily relate to Poland. Uh, because in my opinion, I'm not half Polish. I'm half Viking because the Vikings came in and raped and pillaged the whole area. So I probably got one of these days I going to have my genes checked and I'm sure there's much more of the Viking, uh, blood, but then, and, and, and my father's side was English, Scottish, Welsh, and Irish. So, uh, you know, that kind nice. of combination of things, but, uh, yeah. uh, anyway, it's just, you know, so, so, but I look at myself as I'm a native Californian. Uh, and so my culture, my, my, um, uh, my environmental my my environment has affected me i'm not looking to go back to the old country i you know it, it that's not me and and so when i look at at you know one of the struggles i have is you know from a diversity point of view is everybody has their cultural heritages and everything else but remember like we're all living in california this is a different ecosystem this is a different cultural environment than what other, other country country you came from and certainly you can bring you know bring the good parts and so forth but also remember that we we are sharing this in a way that as as a diverse culture in California that it's not the same as being in a more homogenous culture in another country and we have a different ecosystem and we have different limitations and we and all those different things so it's like there needs to be a cultural melting pot, if not a physical melting pot, in terms of how we view this. To me, one of the challenges that I've asked many times is, what do we as Californians share as a common cultural set of values? And the answer is, oh, well, we're really divided. I mean, if I said all Californians are environmentally conscious they're all accepting a diversity they all have uh, you know respect for each other and and encourage innovation and blah 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 blah. i don't think i'd get very far down that list until i'd run into somebody who said nope that's not me you know so anyway that that's right. that's, that's a challenge because because in you know in a more homogenous society in a, in a much smaller area you know you can create that sense of we back to our original conversation do we but we here in california you know we have to respect diversity and all those other things but we also have to define and articulate and voluntarily share uh, some sense of cultural commonality and i don't know what that is
0: That's a really good point what about um books that you've read that have impacted on you. And it could might even be one that you've written.
1: <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll tell you about the books that have influenced me, but, but, but I don't, I don't read books. I don't read books anymore. I haven't read a book in years. Audiobooks. Right. There you go. Ah, that's, that's the punchline. Such I, a
0: great way to digest information.
1: <laughs> I have And you read, can multitask. I, I, <laughs> I think I've been on Audible for three years now and I have listened to, quote, read, something like 120 books that I never ever ever would have sat down and listened to or read if it in the physical process. I'm so impressed that I can I can I can read and engage. So, I'm literally just just today or tomorrow I will finish the last bit of The Handmaid's Tale. Talk about dystopian stories. Uh, boy, and 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 yet just amazing writing so you know and you would kind of hit me to this question so i kind of thought about it well you know number one dr shivago when i was in high school as a story of of true romance in the in the in the core of this tumultuous political upheaval and war and seeing the the emotions and the 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 Power, you know, whole thing, and then seeing the movie and seeing it in, in real—the the the scenes of the train going across the 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 frozen tundra and and all those things and and the, and all the intrigue and so forth—that was a so powerful. So you think the
0: adaptation was good? Then it was a successful adaptation.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, yeah. and and movies are different than books, but yeah, but the the book that really teed me up for a lot of the influence um, in my uh, college years was *Stranger in a Strange
0: Land*. Tell me about it. I Haven't heard of it.
1: Oh, that, um, so uh, that book is a story about uh, a human that was raised by the Martians and came back to Earth as a Martian, but in effect as a human. And And, and the
0: Martian culture... When was he abducted, inverted commas? Did he get to experience some of the world before? It
1: wasn't so much abducted. I, I actually do, I don't remember yeah. the, the source of that. I think he was born on Mars as part of the original colonies. The colonies failed. He was adopted into the Martian okay. uh, society, blah, blah, blah. But, but really what, what the, one of the fundamental takeaways from me for me at the time was, and still is, was the sense that he was human with the ability to be telepathic, to be uh empathetic with nature in a way that he would feel emotionally his the 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 walking on lawn as interacting with grass in a in a way that profoundly affected him
0: and and his wow that's so beautiful we don't do it do we? we our appreciation levels of nature are so low
1: right and 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 literally and his ability
0: to an experience of touching of feel of the senses
1: right and and his his ability to will pain away will disease away through conscious mental focus uh, to be very positive and so forth. It's a very interesting story
0: and, and I... Is it a critique of planet Earth from an alternative perspective?
1: In some ways it is. It, it's, a, it, it, it's, a, it's a story of how, uh, how difficult it was for him to assimilate into, into uh, the Earth, Earth's culture, uh, human society and mm-hmm. how it turned on him in various ways. Uh, while well, basically all he was trying to do is, is just share a positive message, but the positive message was treated as... as, um, as uh, With suspicion. It was superstition and, and considered uh, revolutionary and controversial. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that was a good book. And The Prophet... Uh, oh, was an amazing mm-hmm. book as well as siddhartha as a, as a as a role model uh and then of course in uh, that some
0: great references. in the
1: same in the same era the hitchhiker's guide to the universe oh
0: fantastic
1: right which taught me that pretty much everything in life can go <laughs> take take take, <laughs> take a left turn very quickly and 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 gave me a sense of of the the fun part of the absurdity of things you know oh, what's the meaning so of life right?
0: so beautifully constructed
1: yeah, what is the meaning of life? I ask everybody, you know, what's the meaning of life? And if you don't come back with 42, ah, well, you, you've missed it, you know? <laughs> um, and then I've mentioned Alan Watts, but also the Castaneda, book, Castaneda books, you know, the, the, okay. the, the Don Juan series. Um, although, you know, you can take that as a grain of salt and so forth. Uh, having <clears throat> experienced alternative universes, myself, I thought that his perspective on... Uh, that whole scene of uh psychedelics and uh, so forth uh was well done great story uh i thought it was just uh, i read it through i guess it was post-college years is his seven books so
0: why, why do you think alan watts was had such a, a wide-ranging impact on so many people was he like inextricably linked to the psychedelic uh, culture or I mean, when I listen to him, I think he's such a cool guy, and clearly so profound, so many layers that I am yet to peel away. Why do you think he, uh, above so many other people, like became such a sort of celebrity spiritualist, if you like?
1: Well, because he was Western, and and pretty much was was able to articulate a more Eastern thought in a, in a very right. clear and uh, engaging way. I liked his voice. And I like the way to. And so, so my exposure to Alan Watts again is that wasn't so much from the reading. Is I swear to God, there was a radio station out here in San Francisco back in the day, um, called uh, KSAN, uh, and K K S A N K S A N Radio. And there was a disc jockey in the morning uh terry mcgovern who would uh and then Stefan ponick would launch the day at six o'clock in the morning you know he they'd do the shift and it's like okay now you know and and they'd they'd do the tibetan chimes ding right love it and then he would cast the I ching and read the I Ching for the day, and I I I'm actually a am actually ai have practiced I Ching in the past and so forth, ah. and and he would he would read the I Ching, and you'd get that hit of Eastern thought and and connecting mm. and all those, and then they'd play, at least a half an hour of Alan Watts, or Baba Ramdas, talk, a lecture. And it was fabulous. And then they play another half hour of old radio programs: Lone Ranger, The Green Hornet, Flash Gordon, whatever. And so that first hour of waking up between like six and seven, in the morning, before I did, you know, go off to, to college, was was like this amazing experience of, uh, you know, I, of just. Exposure to different culture in a lot of wow. different ways, and so Alan Watts to me takes me back to that era of listening to him, uh, his lectures, and and then and then pursuing, and then getting again getting exposed to Mirababa, and then actually reading some of the books, uh, reading Khalil Gibran, um, reading Maribaba and so forth. Uh, very influential, and then and, and and during that time you know, shaking off the vestiges of Catholicism, which wasn't very hard to do at all. Um, uh, you know, and then saying, okay, well, so back the, 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 the that era, you know, the 60s, which I lived in the center of, at least in the West Coast, mm-hmm. was, you know, get yourself a, a very, a nice sieve, right? Fine-grained sieve and dump your entire personality mm-hmm. and all your values and all your influences into it and shake out the good stuff. And then, dump out the crap you know and then reinvent yourself so
0: all of those ideas are just as prominent today aren't they just as prevalent and alluring today as they were then was the 60s massively different in California than it is now oh yeah Um, uh, describe as succinctly as you can what was different about it tonally how did it why did it feel so different was it really a much more liberal place? I mean, California's—you know—it's—it's it's got, it's still got this reputation of being extremely liberal, is not it? But it doesn't always feel like that in California.
1: Well, uh, the way I describe it is that we here in the Bay Area live in our little Switzerland of sanity inside of California <laughs> you know California is a different environment but in the nine Bay Area counties throw in Santa Cruz maybe throw in Monterey yeah. this is our little Switzerland of sanity it's about mm-hmm. the same size and population this is a we're in a bubble a very distinct bubble um right. really really the six the six actually it was a late 60s make a difference because you know I, I was too young for the free speech movement at Berkeley but I I mm-hmm. got a degree in frisbee and a minor in tear gas at Berkeley in in the 70s and <laughs> And I I uh, I know the feeling of being nuked from above with a helicopter dousing the entire crowd with with uh, tear gas. I mean, I was there. Um, but the, but really, what it was is is the music. And and the music mm-hmm. at the time of the anti-war movement and and the power okay. of of the fact that all of us males. Were subject to the draft, and boy, there's mm. nothing that'll wake up more than turning 18 and saying you got to register for the civil service for so a stupid insane. war in Vietnam, and and so therefore, you know, why are you protesting? You're pro- to protesting to stop the war that could take you now, for, or your friend, or your, or you know, in the case of of the 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 females, you know, their boyfriends or their brothers, you know, and so there was there was existential threat. At a at a at a at a very visceral level that we don't see with climate change. You know, we see the the march for science and the climate marches and all that, but you know, we're not seeing that same kind of thing as like, look. Okay, you know, half of us are going to get drafted the next week and go off to the war and come back in body bags. You know, um, you know, you don't hear these days the kind of music around the climate the way you do you did back then, hearing uh, Country Joe singing the. Uh, uh the Vietnam rag, the fixing to die rag, you know? Have yeah. you I don't know we you're familiar with that song, One, Two, Three, What Are We Fighting For? Don't Ask Me, I yes. Don't Give yes. A Damn Right. Okay. Yes. So yeah. okay. so, you know, and then and then you know the Jefferson Airplane and The Grateful Dead, you know, all those things. That was amazing bands happening and bringing tons and tons of people together. Uh certainly there was a negative downsides of of, of the hippie movement, you know, the 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 drugs and everything else, but but in my opinion, okay, so I'm going to give you my opinion of 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 the beginnings of the downfall of America, okay? And sooner, yes. one of these days, a historian will look back in 100 years, 200 years, whatever, and say <laughs> the big the BGS were the catalyst. That caused the downfall <laughs> of America. Brilliant. Okay.
0: Where culture went to
1: die. Okay. Now, so you got it. The, 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 and then you're supposed to say the Bee Gees. How did the Bee Gees lead to the, devol- the downfall of America, exactly. right? Okay. So you asked mm-hmm. me that. All right. So think about it. Back in the you know 60s, we had the hippie movement, which was peace, love, and understanding, colorful clothing, high respect for nature love of everybody we were changing the culture we were impacting the way people thought we were looking forward to the dawning of the age of aquarius right everything was going along fine until the freaking Gees came out with staying alive <laughs> staying alive and everybody <laughs> of my sister's generation went indoors and polyester and oh, disco wow. and those oh kids my God. voted for reagan wow the polyester generation became the me generation and they voted for reagan and reagan was the beginning of the political downfall he took the solar panels off the white house that jimmy carter put up and so it is not hyperbolic to consider that the disco movement was the antithesis of the hippie movement and really led to a retreat from all those values became materialistic and teed us up for all the crap that followed
0: wow that is so interesting That's so interesting <laughs> but yeah it seemed like it was so on vogue to be a hippie so on vogue to want to be a net positive for the world back in those days and it just it seems to have died mm-hmm. I've been watching a fantastic show called The Century of the Self I'm sure you've heard of it probably watched mm. it, and um, to talking about sort of you know uh, socialism and people on the left of center and what they did around the 60s after the hippie movement why why mm-hmm. why this sort of went underground but it, it appeared that is what happened instead of you know fighting the right wing fighting reagan fighting what was going on they just basically became uh, more inclusive and more artistic and they made their they made their protest in very artistic ways but not by taking up arms but by being on the streets and protesting as much
1: well, a lot of us are keeping the flames, and a lot of people, of you know, during that area, turned around and had kids, and needed to buy houses, and mm. you know, we all had to get jobs. But but there's a lot of a lot of hippies turned to the tech movement. Right. Um, you know, and and the artistic movement, of course. But uh, um, anyway, that that was a very influential time, and I'm I'm I feel blessed Amazing. as having been here in this area, and uh, and having exposure to that. I was a very very uh, strident uh, uh, Jefferson airplane fan, and. Uh, uh yeah and and I saw Janis Joplin many times they they'd be the second second act in in many uh of the shows and
0: uh it was so much fun and have you heard of a guy called Richie Unterberger no huh? uh i i mean i don't think he's much of a celebrity or anything like that but he's an incredibly knowledgeable guy on um the whole move, cultural mm. and musical movements of the 60s and 70s he's a a university professor and he does regular um free uh, lectures about mm-hmm. different times of you know, the 60s, and 70s, and <laughs> different musical movements. Absolutely uh-huh. fantastic. I mean, he's a he's he's got encyclopedic knowledge. He always does questions and answers after his sessions. And yeah, mm-hmm. I've seen some amazing lectures of his uh, dotted around the uh, Bay Area. You should. Check him out, Richie Unterberger. That'd sure be fun.
1: You, should... you know, it's interesting because because one of the things that you know you asked me in just in terms of what's different now is that I don't feel that kind of intensity of the music. I don't feel right. that the rebelliousness of the music and the and the messaging that came out you know from from uh, from the bands these days. I th- I think it's a little softer. Um, uh, and, and so it it it's not as engaging for me per se. You know, I, I drift to oldies. It just all but, feels
0: like a product, doesn't it? It feels yeah. like a product rather than something with genuine authenticity, genuine feeling. Yeah, and I'm
1: not I'm not well. You know, I I, I must say I hear amazing uses of technology in terms of mm. how people are doing recording these days and and different things. So there's amazing things happening. It's just not as as edgy per se. Now that's okay. said, I'm not listening to stuff that's more. Uh, politically aggressive, uh, you know, that, right. and, and so forth. So I am, a, I am acknowledging my lack of knowledge and exposure to the stuff that would be that in a different community, because I'm an older guy and I'm, you know, it's just, I don't relate to that music necessarily, but I think there is meaningful stuff out there. It's just, I'm not either exposed to it or it's not my taste, so...
0: Mm. I love the idea that you know that hippies in some way pioneered Silicon Valley. You wrote a book called What Makes Silicon Valley Tick.
1: Yeah, well, I, I co-wrote, co-wrote that with uh, Dr. Tappan Monroe, and he was the former chief economist of PG&E, and we wrote it. I mean, I, I, I was his right-hand guy after he retired, so I don't I don't get any of the negative stuff of PG&E. Um, but uh, <laughs> uh, he was an inspiration to me and a mentor, and and a brilliant guy. And he sat on the University of Californians uh, Systems uh, Science and Technology uh, uh, Commission, and uh, you know he went on on trips with uh, gubernatorial candidates and stuff and so you know he, he and I got together and he he was fascinated by the concept of innovation and and he uh, really wanted to take a look at uh, what he what was considered an innovation region and uh, together we coined the term an innovation ecosystem uh, and you know he we, we did a lot of research on the dot-com boom and bust and we wrote a book mm-hmm. or he re- well actually he he wrote a book and I was his editor uh, for uh, a series of articles on the dot-com boom and bust. Um, and uh, out of that came the definition of uh, these key elements that make up an innovation ecosystem. Uh, there were seven key elements. And then after the book came out, we came up with an eighth element that was actually turned out to be fundamentally the most important element, but it includes includes um, research universities, which we have in Stanford and Berkeley as primary mm-hmm. examples. We have uh, entrepreneurs who come out of the universities you know, with technology or knowledge. So we have access to venture capital. We have uh, a skilled labor force, but we also have quality of life and access to culture. We have a yep. supportive business environment that doesn't make it difficult uh, to start a business, whereas in other countries and other cultures it is hard to start a business uh and culturally if you fail you know you you you're um uh marked for life as a failure whereas here it's fail fail fast fail often right um and (laughs) and so so we we took a really look at that and then over over time i was involved uh in in uh, doing research on other innovation ecosystems and applying our model uh to uh other areas like the the um research triangle in the Raleigh-Durham area of North Carolina, and the uh, Route 128 in the Boston area, um, oh, and God. also the Austin, Texas area, and and also San Diego. And in that process, so, so and I, I, I did research and wrote uh, supportive material for follow-up uh, uh, studies and so forth that Tappan and I were working on. Um, and what it came down to is uh, the eighth element turned out to be the hell of a phrase, but integrative and facilitative organizations, and this came wow. out of a, uh, a comment by I think her name was Mary Walshock, who uh, pointed this out to us that it was it was an organization like down in San Diego, and we were looking at their innovation ecosystem, um, that it was called Connect SD, and Connect SD was a uh, public-private sector partnership organization whose mission was to facilitate innovation and the innovation ecosystem and, and economy of the San Diego area. And so those are the people that would uh, hold business plan competitions and they would have, um, you know, talks with angel investors and they would have social gatherings to bring in, uh, you know, uh, successful entrepreneurs together with wannabe entrepreneurs and they created Hmm. community around the whole concept of innovation. And it it struck us that that concept of the integrative and facilitative organization was in effect, the hub of our diagram of, of seven, uh, Hmm. spheres around the outside. And, uh, so when I, um, uh, worked as the director of a software incubator here in Concord, you know, that was part of what I wanted to create is a sense of not only an opportunity for, for businesses to flourish on their own, but a sense of community uh, of, of entrepreneur and a spirit of innovation. And that out of that came my work at the high school. And um, I don't know whether you noticed on my list of things, I, I founded a um, really cool program that's still going after i don't know 17 18 years at mount diablo high school in Con- concord it it okay. um it's called the innovation project and it culminates in the innovation fair the annual digital safari innovation fair and uh i was i had a teacher at high school uh, who was in our economics class who had the whole class form a company and we had this experience and i was one of the core leaders in that experience. And we made these paper flowers and sold them and kept track of the money. It was kind of a junior achievement kind of thing for the whole class. But out of that, I I realized that was really fun and we learned a lot. And so I met this, uh, the teachers from the academy at Mount Tableau High School, and uh, they were, it was a multimedia academy. And so I was, it, right during that time, which was, I guess, 1998, 99, 2000, it was big. The whole web scene was exploding. And so I said, well, what can we do to stimulate these artistic kids? Let's have them form businesses and and we'll have a website competition. And so we did a website competition. And then after like two years, it was like, that was boring, you know, because it was just different graphics. And I said, okay, here's the deal. We're going to shift from retail web business stuff to they've got, they've got to form a company, invent a real product and and then do all of the steps that it takes to go out and raise 5 to 10 million dollars in virtual venture capital okay and i said the product it has to be a product it cannot be a service cuz products you really get into the marketing and the uh, and the production and all you there's a lot more to learn from the product and i said and the key is this was the key i said by the way the technology doesn't have to be real And we tried that out and it just exploded. Oh my God, the creativity of these kids was amazing. And so every fall, uh, we take the senior students in in economics and multimedia and English, three collaborative classes. It's 50% of their grade in three classes. And the students, three to four people, they they form a, a company, they brainstorm ideas for a product and the product has to be meaningful. It can't be just some throwaway toy or whatever. Um, And then they've got to craft that into uh, an innovation and what their intellectual property is, is the black box that solves a particular problem. So for instance, one of the greatest inventions of all time is the anti-gravity day pack. So all the students who carry around those heavy day packs of books they just turn right. back flip a switch and whoop it's light <laughs> as a feather right <laughs> and so you know their intellectual property is is creating the anti-gravity generator that is the uh core of the base of the of the, uh, the backpack right and so we have them explain it and we have them do a business plan a, a product data sheet a marketing plan they have to ha- create a logo a powerpoint presentation and a video commercial and so they meet with mentors every month uh, through the through the fall semester, and the mentors are literally a VP of a bank, cashed out multimillionaire entrepreneur, the CEO of a high tech company from down San Ramon, cha- the, the the CEO of the Chamber of Commerce. Uh, real solid business people meeting with these teams, crafting their ideas, giving pointers, the whole nine yards, you know, making them, every time they come up, they've got to learn how to shake our hands and introduce themselves like a company. It's not like, Oh, I'm Harvey, blah, blah. No, you are Harvey Smith. I, you know, my name is Harvey Smith. I'm the CEO of, you know, XYZ company. This is my colleague, you know, Harvey Schwartz, the CMO, uh, you know, of the company. And they've got to shake our hands and be professional, sit down, listen, and interact in a professional way. And we, we tell these kids that this is, this is real world, American capitalism. You know, this is, this mm. is the way that really yeah, the, the the wealth is made. It's, it's not through mom right. and pop. It is, but, but, uh, uh, this isn't service-based small business. This is, how to hit a home run by raising five to ten million dollars and then uh, in in virtual venture capital and then at the end of the semester i run a ballroom we have a tech expo and a business plan competition so these teams these companies like a tech fair, they have tables all around in a big horseshoe. They've got their big uh, uh, stand-up boards talking about their product, the market, and all this stuff with their PowerPoints on their on their little laptops and everything else. Everybody's wearing suits and dresses, and we invite the Chamber of Commerce. It's their, it's their monthly mixer, and all the families and friends. And, and the key for that event, I love this when I, I came up with this, we give all the guests fifty thousand dollars in virtual venture capital to invest in ten checks, ten five ten thousand dollar virtual checks. And then we seed the crowd with about ten or twelve venture capitalists who have fifty thousand two hundred fifty thousand dollars to invest in fifty thousand dollars checks. So the kids have to earn their investment dollars and then we take the teachers score their business plan, score one, the mentors score the PowerPoint presentations. And every team has to give a, a, a presentation to the mentors live the day before. So we sit through all 14, 15 presentations. And then the third score mm-hmm. is the amount of money that uh, the students raise during the fair. So we take those three scores and we pick the top finalists and put them up on stage and they give uh, their pitch for money to a panel of real business people. So if you go on innovation fair, F-A-I-R, innovationfair.org yeah. and look at the video, watch that team of kids give that presentation about a memory Those kids nailed it. They could be, really? we had, we had a team of young ladies who created the Solomonte, a, Stylish women's shoe that f- changes from flats to spiked heels at the touch of a button. <laughs> Such a good the, idea. <laughs> the heel for various, you know, the heel melts itself into the sole to provide extra cushion, and then comes back
0: and flows wow. into being a
1: heel. These girls could have worked on Madison Avenue. Yeah, they you, were the so
0: slick. Amazing. And when you can think of ideas like this, usually you can make them eventually, can't you? I mean, we look at all the sci-fi, Star Trek, Jean-Luc Picard, we, we look at all the all the crazy sci-fi ideas that came out in the 60s and 70s and then we see them being implemented in the real world. Today Skype is a great example.
1: Oh yeah, well so and so over time our kids our kids invented the iPad three years before it came out. Our kids invented numerous forms of uh, auto, auto, um, what is it, autonomous vehicle sensors and so forth. We we invented oh. it way ahead of time. Uh, the MP3 watch our kids came out with that many many years before. Brilliant. So so lots of the inventions, the ones that won were actually the teams that won were actually closer to the edge. Then further over the edge, we considered it mm-hmm. uh, instead of you know cutting edge technology. We call it beyond the edge technology because it's you know innovation without limitation. Um, uh, mm-hmm. But anyway, it's a tremendous program, and I've I, a standing offer to anybody listening is I would be absolutely happy to talk to uh, a teachers, principals, or any educator who wants to implement the innovation project at any school, pretty much anywhere. Now that we you know we can do Zoom and stuff, um, the pandemic is not a, a constraint for this type of project, and when we get back to real classrooms uh there's there's many ways we can do this and and i my goal if i can if we can do this is to have multiple schools participating in the innovation fair uh at their at their local school level and then have a regional innovation fair where i've got intramural uh competition between teams from different schools our our, our one of our taglines is our goal is to make innovation as exciting as a sports and as cool as music because you know the people that are going to make it in sports and music are really really talented but it's a very very limited niche whereas every Absolutely. kid every kid can be an innovator and we're teaching it's these these kids the the fundamental american business skills that at any time in their career they have a brilliant idea they now know how to approach a banker do a, a business plan and really go off on their own you know, so we're, it's all about empowerment, sorry.
0: And in, amazing, I love it. And in periods where America has been, you know, regarded as in, in more positive terms, it's been regarded as a very innovative, pioneering place, a very creative place, isn't it? Some of the best virtues of America. It gets tarred with this brush because of the current leader, et cetera, But there are still so many great things about America. And in the hands of people like you, I think we'll be going in the right direction. Yeah. You're an absolute gentleman. You probably didn't expect it to go on for two hours. <laughs> well, I was—I kind of was hoping it would go, you know, quite a while, and it did. It was great. Thank you so much. I would love to speak to you further, and I'm going to come kayaking in Martinez before long as well. You won't be able to get rid Very of me. Very cool. Oh, that would be—I'd I'd be happy to. It'd be fun. <sighs> the natural high. Follow us on Twitter at Natural High Club or go straight to the website, thenaturalhighclub.com. And remember to subscribe to the Natural High Podcast through whichever platform you're listening to get every new pod straight to your phone.